You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and we bring you a review of the Scotland's national team's matches. Um, we were hoping in better circumstances, but um, to chew the fat over the post-mortem um, as this is now becoming. First of all, we've got... Um, Vinny, how are you doing, Vinny? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm all right, John. Um, obviously, cr- crushing disappointment last night. Um, however, I think there's uh, quite a bit to to go through in terms of picking up the pieces and looking to the future. So, yeah, so it'll be good to um, go through that process with you guys tonight. Yeah, definitely. And we're also joined by um, regular as part of the team. Well, he puts out the podcast every week these days, um, and who went to his first women's game last week, the better one of the two. Chris, welcome back. How are you? Oh, it was better on Thursday than it was on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... Yesterday was a double whammy, unfortunately. Yes. Um, well, we won't talk about your um, your men's club team, fortunately, but um, we unfortunately, we had all sorts of plans um, for this podcast tonight. We were going to... Um, we're, we're either going to be looking forward to going to the World Cup or at worst be in a playoff in New Zealand in, in February because the likely permutations were that's where we were going to end up going. But unfortunately, and maybe had something like we have a dream playing at the start, but unfortunately the dream um, died last night and uh, it was just an utter disappointment. I mean, where do we start with this? Thursday, preferably. <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm saying that. Thursday wasn't that great. We got the result. But in terms of performances, I mean, as you said earlier, it was my first uh, actual going to the game uh, for women's football. But I've seen Scotland play a lot better than that. It just it seemed to take about seventy-five minutes to even get going in that game. Chris, obviously, we we were sitting together, which was uh, which was lovely. It was good to uh, chew the fat during the game, but it was just abundantly clear that. Again, we'll come on to it about um, Tuesday night as well, but I don't think the starting eleven was right, and that was made clear by when the changes came on. And you're saying about seventy-five minutes, which I think would tie in. Um, we suddenly we, we started playing. I think uh, Abby Harrison just completely changed the dynamic of the game, and, and you pointed out, Chris, where we were there that her presence meant that Caroline Weir could actually do her thing. Um, so yeah, to a certain extent, I felt as though okay, Austria were were, were better opposition, but to say, I think we got away with it on Thursday. Um, and last night the, the the performance was very similar, but we didn't get away with it. I think that's a, a very very quick summary of it. Mm-hmm. I think in Thursday um, there, there was a case of both sides were trying to feel each other out um, because um, there was so much at stake and. There's not a lot between the sides, although I know Austria were in the quarterfinals of the um, the Euros there, but there's only three places in the rankings um, between the two, and I think they were almost both sides were almost uh, too scared of losing. I mean, what I will say is that when we did take the lead in 92 minutes, why it wasn't um, 90 plus two, that would have been better. But um, <laughs> after we went ahead in 92 minutes and Abby Harrison scored that header, they managed the game so well for the rest of that um, extra time period. Austria never um, gave us another bit of um, bother after that and there was a lot of confidence coming away from, on the back of that you thought he would take that into the game on Tuesday but Ireland's lined up very rigidly they had a 5-4-1 and they were almost inviting us on to say right come come do right, come out and see what you've got they marked Caroline Mia pretty much out of the game, they marked Ern Cuthbert out of the game and with them pretty much taking out the equation, I thought we really lacked in creativity. As Vinny said, like in the in Thursday night's game, Caroline Weir was kind of almost missing at times. Um, and she wasn't the only one in the midfield until such times as Abby Harrison came on and that seemed to give her a bit more freedom and then suddenly she was a big threat. It looked the same against Ireland. Like you said, the Ireland marked her out of the game, they marked Cuthbert out of the game. I thought Erin looked pretty... Sort of, Erin was an odd one and that she seemed to get muscled off the ball a lot on Thursday night, which I haven't really seen much of her do at all um, in the time I've been watching women's football. 
until she got that bang in the head, like <laughs> your treatment for a couple of minutes, and then she got up, and then suddenly she was she was wandering out muscling. I don't know if Austria had just tired at that point. They did look very, like, especially after we scored and uh, the earliest part of the extra time, they looked exhausted. And I said to Vinny at the time, if we get a second goal, they're done. Um, obviously, there was still one goal in it. They were still um, in the game, but as you say, Scotland managed the one 0 really well. Um, we were laughing because it was like seven minutes to go in the second half extra time and we were heading for the corner <laughs> that's a bit early for that I don't know. Um, but I, I, it seemed to work alright there was never really any threat in Gibson's goal after we scored which was probably a good thing and compare that to the first half on Thursday night when I thought one of the most dangerous things was their corners Austria were whipping in some terrific corners and we were probably lucky they weren't getting to the end of them because if they got an end to any of them, it would be a completely different uh, story. And we wouldn't have been sitting here talking about Tuesday night at all, I don't think. Yeah, de- definitely. And, um, no, as you say, we, you, you can argue we got away with it and we managed the game well, but it was, um, you know, the, the fact is we got the job done. But last night, you don't get a better opportunity than a penalty kick after um, 13, 14 minutes. And at first, I didn't know what had happened because I just all thought it was Martha Thomas messed up the shot and it hit the bar. She should have done better with her shot, but it took the deflection off her hand. Good spot by the referee. And Carly Mayer for 12 yards, you think this is this is going to be it, um, get us off to a good start. But it wasn't a great penalty. Um, great hype for the goalkeeper and yeah. we just never recovered. Yeah, there wasn't enough pace on it to, go, to get away with getting that height on it. Uh, if she kept it low or went high in the corner, it would be fine. She'd have scored it. But at that height, the keeper's always going to be in there. I've got a guess, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if she'd have to keep her guess the wrong way, it was a goal as well. So it wasn't. I've seen worse penalties, but mm-hmm. at that height, you're always, you're always asking for the keeper to, to make a good save. And she did. And as you say, we just didn't seem to recover from that. Um, I, don't, I don't think. I mean, other than the throw-ins that were absolutely ridiculous for the I've never seen. I've never seen anybody throw the ball that far like that. It was and, like Rory Delap, wasn't it? I, I, it was even. I thought it was even better than a Rory Delap one. It was phenomenal. When they literally threw it in the net at one point. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Thrown straight in the net by the good play was supposed to be how it let that bounce and just because she yeah. also read, right? We'll just let it go because it won't be a goal. Because if she touches, that's an own goal. <laughs> Do you know, John? I, th- I think that's probably a good, a, a good sort of segue into a, a wee discussion. I think we can be doom and gloom and, and and discuss what went wrong. And I think there was a lot that went wrong. But Sophie Howard, for me, was a bit of a, a, a bright spark. And I think she actually showed up Rachel Corsi on a, a number of occasions last night, just in terms of that little bit of pace that she has, as opposed to Rachel Corsi, because. Ireland obviously scored from the break, but it wasn't the only time they they played and, and nearly had success on the break. And Sophie Howard was excellent in, in terms of just having putting the burners on and being able to recover. And I have to say, it was usually from Corsi's mistakes that uh, Howard was uh, recovering. And like you said, to have that um, awareness just to, at the very, very last second, duck as that throw-in is, is coming because if you think back to occasions where that has, uh, where, where a goal has happened in, in, in that situation from a throw-in, it has just taken the slightest nick off somebody and that's been enough for the referee to give it. So Sophie Howard, for me, was um, was was a bit of a standout. Um, I thought um, Doc, I thought Nicola Doherty was brilliant in, in, in both games. And if you're talking about two of your defenders being sort of standout players in a team with Weir, Cuthbert, Emsley, Martha Thomas, then you can sort of see where the problem's lying, probably. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, so far I got player of the match last night and, you know, she did two brilliant goal link clearances as well within the space of 10 seconds each other in between a fabulous save from Lee Gibson as well. It was an almighty scramble that we got away with. I mean, I think that and the goal was the main chances Ireland created, but we didn't create any real clear-cut opportunities. The only clear-cut opportunity I had was obviously the penalty kick, but Ireland were just happy to sit in and you know let us come at them and hit us in the break, and that's obviously how they done. And It was a shame. I mean, obviously Sophie had a good game, but it is her pass that leads to the goal, and yeah. she is outpaced, but it's a, it's a good finish by, um, um, by the girl. I, th- I think it's the first touch. I think Sophie Howard is going to recover, but the first touch 
um, is just phenomenal. Um, and as, as a striker and you're playing on the break and you've got no support whatsoever, you need your first touch to be good and in the right direction with the right weight on it. And it, it was just perfect. And, you know, wow, what I, I kind of... I appreciated it. it was a wee toe poke past the keeper uh, uh, last night, but when I watched the replay of it, I thought that is a really tidy finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was good at the time, but it was even better than I thought. Yeah, um, so credit to her. This is always annoyed me. There's nothing wrong with a toe poke. Exactly. Oh, you, no, you, no, using no, the toe I, poke I, I, is a very good tool when you do but, it properly, like no, David Neri, for instance. <laughs> Listen, when David Neri did it, we just made Brazil angry. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was a different issue. But uh, you're right; it's, it's, it's a very tidy finish. And you say that it's the first touch that makes it because that takes her away for Howard. And then when she gets away for Howard, she's not getting back in, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. and then you're just hoping that ball trickles wide. Uh, no, it was a slow motion hand, but then it hits, and then it's just a collective. Um, it's just a collective growing. Problem. Um, I, I, I highlighted in the chat, you know, um, about the, you know the possible tactics, and you no, know, you guys have said that we possibly picked the wrong team over the um, the couple of games, but um, the substitutions um, when we're chasing the game were it was it was just like for like like um, we brought on brought brought on uh, um, Harrison for Martha Thomas, you know, just a straight swap. Um, it was. Um, Lucy Graham for Sam Kerr, again, like for like. Um, Christy Grimshaw comes on for, you know, Fiona Brown, again, right wire for right wire. Um, we did bring in Emma Mitchell on for, um, so Emma McCandy, as she's now known. She, we brought her on for um, Lisa Evans, but obviously Doc uh, moved over to right back. And then we bring on Jen Beatty, which she thought she would have just went up into the box for the last 10 minutes, but she just stayed in defence and so far went to right back. It was, what, um, you know, you can be pretty, sort out your tactics if it gets extra time, but we needed an our body in the box. The yeah, only what thing that you've said there that made any difference at all was bringing Harrison on because Harrison's a different kind of striker from Thomas. The others are all straight swaps yeah. every time, or they're, they're swapping a one player for another and then shuffling about, so it's exactly the same shape again. The, Har- the Harrison one's the one that makes a slight difference. It worked on Thursday, it didn't work on Tuesday, but you're right, there was, there was just nothing. The, the gym. Ones bizarre, but like you would want her up there. The the frustrating thing for me, and yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. When when I saw Beatty coming on, we um I was with um uh, my wife's uncle was there, and we we had the, the three boys again with us uh, last night. And I turned round and I said, Beatty's coming on. She's going to go up front. And I was uh, preparing my uh, sort of amusing tweet about panic stations. Here comes Jen Beatty up top. Um, yeah, and then when she just slotted in at centre back, I thought, oh right. Um, but what was really frustrating for me was um, Abby Harrison was told to get stripped after about fifty-five minutes, um, and there was big cheer from the crowd. Took the bib off and everything, and she was in her short sleeves. And then he didn't he didn't bring her on for uh, John. Maybe you've got the timings of the subs in, in front of you, but it felt like an age before he decided to to switch it up. It was quite clear, and it was quite clear on Thursday night. It wasn't working for Martha Thomas, um, you know, for for whatever reason, whether it was just being out muscled or it's a it's a hard job against two centre backs on your own. And like you alluded to, you know, Ireland came with a game plan of of sitting in. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it worked perfectly for them, but it quite clearly wasn't working. And then, to add to your point, Chris, if if it's not working for Thomas and you want Harrison to come on, put the two of them. If there's if there's five at the back and you've got the width from, from Emsley um, and, and, and Brown, and then it was Grimshaw came on, and you've got more than capable fullbacks there as well. And I have to say, I thought Emma McCandy's uh, deliveries were phenomenal when she came on I th- I thought she was unlucky not to start last night um, and yeah her, her deliveries were threatening at least uh, towards the end I t- it was just overall a very frustrating evening Yeah, Abby Harrison came on after 75 minutes so 20 minutes after we thought she was yep. coming on and yeah, we're one down by that point and yeah. I mean maybe bringing her on for Martha Thomas might have made sense but when you're chasing the game have the two of them on. You yeah, could have just yeah. taken off a defender, take off, um, you know, even take off Rachel Corsett at this, this point and, uh, you know, just go for it. Although you do want your captain as well. Um, the, the only other 
opportunities I can remember after we went one down was the Sophie Howard header, which is a difficult header. Um, she's under pressure, and she's, it's not far wide. And then there was a good knockdown by Corse, but Claire Emsley caught, caught on her heels a wee bit and um, it's too late sliding at the back post. If she's a yard early, she's scoring that possibly. I thought Claire, who's a very good player, was not great over the two games, in my opinion. I, I've, I've been saying this for a while about Claire Emsley. Love her a bit. I think she's very skillful, but you know, I'm, I think last time we spoke about her, I thought she was maybe turning a corner for Scotland, but it was like back to old form, um, both both on Thursday and Tuesday. Um, yeah, I, I keep using the word frust- frustration, but that that's the way I feel with Claire Emsley. I think she's got terrific delivery. She's she's two footed, but she's just not delivering uh, right now. Um, I think there were there were two other efforts. I think it was the only time we worked the keeper. Um, to, to be honest, John, um, and we didn't even, it, it wasn't even um, particularly good efforts. There was a, a powerful Erin uh, Cuthbert shot from just inside the box, but straight at the keeper. And I'm sure Caroline Weir had one straight at the keeper as well. Yeah. Um, I was about to ask about that one because um, we, we were talking on Thursday night at the game that Caroline Weir doesn't seem to shoot for Scotland. And she's pinging her in from. Uh, all sorts of di- distances for Real Madrid at the moment, and yet all across the two games, I only saw Caroline Weir shoot once, and it, she didn't catch it right, unfortunately. Um, so it kind of just went straight to the keeper. But given there was one opportunity on Thursday night where I couldn't believe she passed it because it seemed to open up for her, and you were just begging the shot to be hit, and she looked for a pass out wide or something, which was I, I don't get that. I don't know if she's been told not to shoot or. Chris, Chris, you you made a great point there as well, um, because uh, Callum, my eldest, um, and, and and I, we were discussing it on the way home last night. It was almost, and we were talking about Rachel Corsey from this point of view. It was almost as if she's a very good footballer and she plays defensive mid for 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 Villa. So you know she she's no mug, but the way she kept trying to put it over the just getting bypassing the midfield. Every single time, and we said she must have been told to to do that. And you're wondering the same with with Caroline Weir. There's someone. Okay, to be fair to Caroline Weir, particularly last night, every time she got the ball, she had three Irish players surrounding her, and Erin uh, Cuthbert was totally muscled. Um, again, that was clearly the game plan. So, but when you have that little half yard of space, you expect something from Weir. Um, you know, a defence splitting pass, and she just didn't get going. And I, I think it's really interesting you brought that up, Chris. About has she been told to look for the extra pass rather than shooting? Because we felt that with Corsi last night, it was it must have been an instruction to 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 get that, but and try and be a bit more direct. But it was clear. I think I tweeted about it. It was clear after twenty minutes this was not working, and something had to change. And in such a crucial game. You, you need to gamble a wee bit. I saw yeah. someone tweeting saying, you're very disappointed with Pedro's body language last night, hands in pockets, no sort of shouting at the players or cajoling or anything. And he is usually quite a dynamic guy. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't really disagree with the tweet, to be honest. I think what's, uh, t- I mean, Pedro's had this um, mantra in from day one. You know, he's wanted to do the passing out from the back, and we had some problems in the beginning. But I think the last six months there have been um, signs of progression. Um, but last night, as you say, it was a um, it was almost a British t- um, st- style type game because it's obviously um, the Republic of Ireland we're facing, and it's um, I know they're technically not British, Chris, but um, you, you know you get you get the. Um, the point, you know, because the you know most of the players play in Britain, um, so it was that kind, it was that kind of feel to the game. Um, you weren't going to get away with just passing the ball side to side. Ireland were comfortable with that all night. They, they just like, like, what have you got? Come on, we're happy for you to play it across the back. You're not doing anything with it. We'll just hit you in the break. Um, and it's interesting. Pedro said after the game, I don't know if he was doing this to protect his players, but he said that Scotland um, deserved to win the game last night. I don't agree with that at all. And when I was in the media room afterwards, Rachel Corsi and Lee Gibson, their first words were pretty much, "That was not uh, that was not us tonight. That was um, not the kind of performance that we are capable of. We were well short of our performance levels." And I think that says a lot. I I, I think they are buying into what Pedro's trying to do. But last night it needed something else, and 
like I said, the subs being light for light just doesn't work for me when you're one 0 down. I think on Thursday night we did we probably deserve to edge up, and I think yeah, I agree. On on Tuesday, we got what we deserved. I I had the penalty went in. It might have been a completely different game, but I had the penalty went in and it not been a different game. I don't think we really deserve to get it. <laughs> like if I fired on the equaliser or something later on that. I, I, think, I still I think, wouldn't be surprised if Ireland went on to win that game, even if we had scored that penalty. Well, I, I don't know, Chris, because I, th- I think if we score that early on, then Ireland can't sit back. You know, they 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 need to get the, the win to to get through. So I think actually it would it, it would have opened it up a wee bit. Um, there was just that feeling around the stadium as, as soon as uh, as soon as she missed it, it was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, but again, credit to Ireland. They threw everything in front of us. You know, when there were a few, you know, and, and it was, you know, when we were getting a bit desperate and, and McCandy's crosses, which I thought caused them a lot of bother, we were starting to pick up the second ball and having some efforts. They, they didn't even trouble the keeper because the defenders and um, midfielders just flew in. There was no way that ball was getting past them. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was really admirable. I, I, th- I thought that they defended superbly well um, after they went one nil up, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really heartbreaking. But yeah, it's, it's hard to say that I'm, I'm pleased for Ireland, but I felt as though the effort that they put in compared to us, they, they completely deserved the win. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're talking about the fact that Austria are just three places above us. We're only three places above um, Ireland. You know, they're, they're no mugs these days. You know, they've r- risen um, fairly well in the rankings. And and that's now two campaigns in a row where a former Scotland manager has knocked us out. His Anis and did it with Finland um, for the last Euros, um, which I'm still not over. And um, Vera Pau, who obviously started the building blocks in place for the, the progression of the Scotland national team. And she came back to haunt us as well. She looks like she's doing the same with Ireland there on an upward trajectory. I don't, I don't think there's any, there's no shame in losing to Ireland because they are on that upward trajectory. There may be three places below us, but I don't think that'll last much longer. Um, and the playoffs looked exactly like they are. You're saying the three places between us and Austria as well. It looks at they can the three teams all look much of muchness, and it's just a shame that. We're going to have to sit at another major tournament, and, and Ireland will get to go to the first one. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's some achievement for um, both national teams to be <laughs> knocked out at the playoff stage within five months of each other. So I think it's just, <laughs> I think we're all just feeling um, mm-hmm. extremely bitter this evening. Yeah, I think this one hurts more um, than the the Ukraine one. I think the Ukraine one had more anger about it, the men's team. There was more anger about it because Scotland just simply did not turn up last um, on that occasion. Um, I don't think it's a case of Scotland didn't turn up last night. They just didn't play as well. And it was just having got what was arguably the harder part done to then fall last night. But then does that say that we were getting carried away about the game last night? You know, I know that some of the players were saying on Thursday that they were confident getting into the game. Were Ireland underestimated on the wider scale? I don't know, but um, whether we underestimated them as fans, that's one thing, but the players would have no, had an idea what Ireland were going to be set up like, and I just don't think we combated that at all. But um, I also need to ask, do you guys, because um, it's been brought up on Twitter a few times, do you think Hamden is right for the team? I mean, I, I get why they're doing it, and you know, it's good having all the national teams under one rail, etc., but, you know, that 10,000 that we were last night, do you think it would have been better at somewhere like Easter Road or Tynecastle, for example? No. Um, no. I, I, I'm, that's two games in a row there where we've got just over 10,000 in the stadium. Now, I still think we can do even better than that. So I would like to hope we're going to do better than that as, as things keep going. Um, but that, that's, that was record uh, attendance for a competitive game after record attendance for a competitive game. It wasn't the Jamaica game. But the Jamaica game was in the build-up to a new uh, tournament in the middle of the summer, as opposed to two stinking nights. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday, Thursday night was so bad in the weather, I knew I did the ball going, <laughs> I did tag muscle on. So I, to get 10,000 in there, and one of the things I really love about it, I, I mean, credit in the, the, the men's team as well, the number of kids that are going along to see the women's game, probably even more than it's going to see the men's game, 
there has been quite a lot for the men as well, so which it's really good to see the next generation is coming along there. I mean, we're all taking the kids along as well, so um, we're working at that stage. But I think that the, the ten thousand, it's it's not fifty two thousand or however many Hamden actually holds that is going to generate the Hamden more. But I think there's enough atmosphere there that it shouldn't affect that. If you take it anywhere else. Scotland's a funny nation. There we've got three big stadiums in Glasgow, and we've got Murrayfield, which occasionally used for football. And then there's a big step down to the next sort of size of stadiums. You're only getting about twenty thousand in like Easter Road, and Tynecastle, and Petodre. Where do you draw a line then? It's because like, mm-hmm. you're going to limit yourself if you start taking it to those ones. But you can you can more or less double what was there. You're going to or, or you're going to get what was in there and get half fill it, but. I think we can even higher than that. I mean, I, I was looking at the attendance. Like the Welsh, on the same night we played Austria, they were at home and they got 15,000 in their stadium. So I don't know if we are, we're still missing tricks or, like I say, maybe it's just the weather. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what else we can do to get people in the stadium, though. I mean, the tickets for free if you're a, a, a Scotland Supporters Club member. I, I think, uh, Chris, part of the uh, reason for the success of the Jamaica game was... Um, a significant number of them were free tickets handed out to uh, football clubs and I believe buses were put on and, and everything like that. So I wonder if that was a similar situation in Wales because that a, that's a huge number. Um, uh, you know, for, for a country where football is not even necessarily the number one sport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I Chris, completely agree with you. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's Hamden for me. It's, there's something special about Hamden nights and um, and Hamden days as well. Although the, the the women have had the opportunity to play in a uh, a Saturday afternoon or anything like that, which is a shame. That will maybe come. Um, but I know from taking my own kids, if we were just to go to a run of the mill stadium, then it's not the same buzz for them. I can't imagine it'd be the same buzz for the players. I think that they. Okay, the performances haven't necessarily been there, but I think that they thrive. I think we keep coming back to that idea of you know young kids, like you said, seeing people and and, and having role models. I think it's a huge difference for a, a wee girl to see Erin Cuthbert um, scoring at Hamden compared to Erin Cuthbert scoring at you know at St Mirren or Easter Road. I, I, I think and when we that was a really, really nice touch. I thought the the SFA media team did getting the players to write letters to their younger selves. Yeah. And how many of them? I think it was Claire Emsley's. I was nearly greeting that, and it was about how she. I'm sure it was hers. Was uh, you know don't don't regret having to play with the boys, and well done you for spending that time hitting the ball off the wall with your right foot and left foot because one day you'll score a free kick at Hamden with your left foot and it just things like that it gives you goosebumps just thinking about it and I, I think we need the women's team to be at Hamden so that kids see that so that we can progress and so that we can move forward um, the, I tweeted about this and kind of had a wee moan to uh, Fiona McIntyre she must be sick of me because I always just tag her into tweets and to be fair to her she always replies <laughs> um, she's such a lovely person um, yeah. Uh, I, my one issue with Hamden is the stewarding. I, I just don't think that they get it in terms of how important it is for kids to be able to go and meet their idols. It's something I really feel strongly should be replicated in the men's game. It's probably too far down the line for it to, to happen, but I absolutely love how the players come over to the side at the end of a game they're happy for selfies. They're happy, like they hand out shirts, they hand out boots, they they, they stop for uh, selfies, they, they they sign their autograph. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's like that up and down the country in um, in the SWPL and uh, the Championship and League One. Like families are there, kids are there. It's so important for these kids to have that opportunity. I think it's something that's sorely missing from the men's game. Um, there's just not that nice interaction, that nice closeness. And for my kids, that's that's one of the highlights of the evening. Um, 
you know, Callum's first ever picture by a Scotland player was Lisa Evans, and then we got a pic- we managed to sneak past the steward on Thursday night to get a picture with Abby Harrison because she was wanting to come to the fans, but there were kids were literally being pushed back by stewards. It's it's horrible to see. And then last night, the the stewards blocked the stairwells so that kids couldn't get down. I took a picture of it and I put it on Twitter. It was even worse last night. Um, literally blocking the stairwell um, so that we couldn't get down. Um, so that needs to change because that it, it wasn't like that when the games were at um, uh, you know, St Mirren Park or, or uh, when they had them at um, Tynecastle or Easter Road. You know, players need to be accessible to, to these kids. Um, oh, it's, it's, that, that was a wee bit heartbreaking for me. Having said that, that's probably the only thing I would change about Hamden. I love having the games there. It makes it a, a better occasion from my point of view. And I think for... I'm, I'm, I'm singling out young girls here because I think that's what's really important. Young girls can have that aspiration to play at Hamden just like their brothers have that aspiration and um, their, their dads and uncles wish they could do it. You know, um, we, we, We've all had that dream of, of playing at Hamden and why should we take that away from, from kids? Yeah. I do feel like the women's game could, could teach the men's game I think, a few things. I, I, I think there's there's a better atmosphere around women's football than there is with men's football. And I don't know if that's just because of historical reasons or whatever, but I suppose the irony of me saying this when the, the Irish F, no, the F, the FAI had to apologise for the uh, singing <laughs> that was going on in the dressing room after the, the Irish win. Um, but the, the, the women's game seems to have, like, you don't get the same anger at the games between fans and you don't get, like, I mean, there's a big thing at the moment about a footballer has come out as being gay in the men's game. It's like, how many women are gay? It's <laughs> it pretty common, and yet nobody was, as it should be. That's the way I would want life to get to. It's like your sexuality should not bear any anything towards how you play football. But we're still at that stage at the moment where the men's game we have to highlight it because you need other people to step up and represent you until you get to the point where it's just accepted as normal as it should be. Whereas in the women's game, we don't have that. And it just seems like that's and I don't want to I don't want to lose these things for a women's game. And the stewarding is the first thing that seems to be getting in the way already. Because yeah. you're right, I mean, you can get pictures with people at pitch side at the men's game, but you're talking like I seen kids going up to Tommy Gravison when he was doing commentary with the when Denmark were playing last year. And because he's he's part of the, the studio. Uh, he's not the players. You wouldn't have had like the Danish players coming over and getting pictures taken. You don't have the Scottish players coming over and getting pictures taken because you're getting somebody at kind of about half time when he's finished talking to the, the TV. Whereas with the woman, that was it seemed to be like certainly not as much on Thursday night when I was there. Sadly, and, although you did manage to get the picture with Abby, um, but they, they're keen to do it. The fans are keen to do it. The kids love it. I'd much rather that than queuing up outside and chucking it down rain, as yeah. tends yeah. to happen in the men's game. When if you want to get pictures with somebody, you're hanging about after full time for them to do their warm down and get changed, and when they're heading out again, you might catch a few players then. But how long do you need to hang about outside the stadium for that? Whereas if you just hang back at the end of a game for a few minutes, especially on a night when it's been extra time, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the time of people getting home on Thursday night. To be able to do that just a few minutes after the full time, when further away in and getting changed and showered and all the other stuff you need to do after the game, it makes such a difference. Yeah, and that, that, I mean, that's the kind of picture you're going to keep forever. Exactly, exactly. And uh, John, just before you move on, if I could pick up on something Chris said about the atmosphere, <laughs> I remember the, the it was the very, very first time I ever went to um, a professional women's game was that Scotland-Jamaica game. Um, and uh, I always remember when Jamaica scored, uh, people all around the stadium were clapping. <laughs> and I remember kind of being like, what? <laughs> like that. 
and then actually I grew it. I, I grew into it, and all the uh, there was some brilliant chants that night from you know it was we girls um, had obviously come along with our teams and stuff like that, and they decided on chants on the way and whatnot, and they were singing, and it was it was fantastic. It was so refreshing, and that really opened my eyes to the potential in the women's game and actually how much I enjoyed that atmosphere. It was just so much more relaxed and that's replicated in, in you know, when we go and watch Thistle uh, women on, on, a, on a Sunday, like I can bring the three kids and wee Beth, she's only two, and if she's wandering about and, um, you know, climbing up the stairs and climbing down the stairs and it, no one cares. <laughs> if, if that happens at a men's game, you've got angry old men shouting at you um, because they can't, you know, as pie juice is dripping down their chin, they can't roar advice at some professional athlete. <laughs> it's, it's a completely different world and I'm, I'm right here for it, to be honest. Pie, pie juice running down your leg is probably a lot better than we had when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've got on them. But uh, for the record, yeah, I'm with you on, on Hampton, to be honest. I just thought I'd raise the point because it had been mentioned on Twitter. And I get I get the arguments, um, but, you know... Uh, um, the, the other point I would make is I don't think UEFA help. No, because you, UEFA managed to schedule two playoffs when... Uh, both at Hamden when on Thursday night you were up against Hearts which was bad enough and then on Tuesday night you were up against Celtic in the Champions League at Celtic Park in the same city yes and the fact that Traffic Scotland insists on roadworks on the, the same road where Celtic fans and um, Scotland fans will be coming out of on that bit yeah. of the M74 because I had an, um, I thought I'll go, I'll go the quick way on uh, Thursday night. Just I'm um, going M four. Not known about these roadworks, but fortunately I could go by East Red last night. But yeah, um, these things don't ha- they don't help. Um, but yeah, I, I, actually that also goes back to Vinny's point. They're the ones scheduling the games. I would love to get us to schedule a women's international game on Saturday at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. When are we going to get the chance to do that? If you are going to schedule it in the week of football, or whatever. Call it the, I'm assuming I'm assuming they call it the same for the women's game as they do for the men's game. Yeah, well, we never seem to get a Saturday three o'clock yeah. kickoff anymore. In fact, I don't think that I don't think it's actually possible to get a Saturday three o'clock kickoff in international football anymore. You can get a five o'clock kickoff or a seven forty-five kickoff. Well, randomly we've got two o'clock um, for Scott for Scotland's first um, Euro twenty twenty-four qualifier. Yes, you're right. <laughs> we do. We have a totally random two o'clock just to completely yeah. mess things up. I know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, um, so World Cup 2023 and Forest from Scotland is gone, so all eyes are now turned to Euro 2025. Um, and as we speak, there are there's no confirmed host nation. That is getting um, decided in January. And the final submissions are to be in for this month. I'm reading off Wikipedia, as you can tell. Um, so there are four bids confirmed. So Poland, France and Switzerland all put in separate bids. Um and I'm sorry for a 16 team um, competition, but four teams, Nordic countries, Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Sweden, nothing against those countries. I actually like the idea of two of them hosting it, but four for a 12, uh, for a 16 team competition, too much. No, please say no to that one. That. I, swear, I mean, you've just seen the Euros earlier this year held in England, and they weren't even at their bigger stadiums, and they get pelters for it, rightly so. But if you're still holding it at that kind of size of stadium, you don't need four countries because you're bound to have two of those countries have got plenty of big enough stadiums to do it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, four stadiums is at that, or four countries is at that point where host nations shouldn't really be qualifying. The way they did with Euro 2020, where none of the host nations qualified, they would have to qualify. If you're going to have that many, you're taking four spaces is ridiculous when you're at 16 because there's only 12 qualifying spaces. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. many, how many qualifying spaces do we get for the World Cup? 12, I think. So it's the same. No, so it's not, uh, yeah, it's the nine group winners plus two of the plus plus maybe World Cup. So that's yeah. I think you have to call that, yeah. But yeah. So you're talking twelve for the World Cup and the same if that's the winning bid for the Euros. That's ridiculous. No. Yeah. Um in terms of the bids that we have in, um so Poland, France, and Switzerland, Chris, I have a feeling where you're gonna to want to go. Um but Penny, what about yourself? Must be in mind, France just recently hosted the World Cup as that, well. I, I was ju- I was just going to point that out. I'm not sure if it will go to France, although it was a very successful World Cup, so maybe maybe they will look at that. Um, and Switzerland would be an interesting one. Um, very accessible as well. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm quite excited, but completely agree with your points about uh, four nations. Um, yeah, that's just that's just a bit wild. Uh, but uh, I think we can all uh, put our money on where it will be in that case. <laughs> I think definitely they'll end up opting for the, the four nations um, uh, choice because uh, that is uh, the most absurd one. So that's no doubt what we'll end up with. I'm just going to have a pays what pays you for the mark worst, don't I? Is that not how bids are sorted? Is that just FIFA that do that? Yeah, I think that's more more for the men's game. There won't be as much um, thrown at this, I would imagine. Um, the fact that it's um, <laughs> well, you never know. Things are also grown in the women's game. Can but... can, can we wait and see uh, which one of these nations has the uh, the poorest human rights uh, record, and uh, that will probably be the host nation. <laughs> Controversial, controversial. Um, <laughs> I'd love to see Scotland host a tournament like this. I mean, maybe not in its own, but maybe with Wales or Ireland. You know, there's although that brings you. Remember, we made that one for the men's um, campaign. We tried to get go for Euro 2008, and they chucked in Ireland as we said, and it just failed to go off the ground. But I would love to see Scotland host a, a women's Euros because we've got some of the stadium there, and you know, if you don't need to have over thirty thousand for everyone, you can. You've then got the options of like Ten Castle and um, East Road and if Aberdeen eventually move stadium, which is supposed to be happened for the last twenty years and never happened, but that's another issue. But that was that's something I'd love to see us do one day, but um we'll wait and see. In terms of the squad though, do you expect to see um a couple of players move on? Because obviously this is a golden generation that we've had that is starting to, you know, some of them are in their thirties. Um, although Lee Lee Gibson did say that she's desperate to be a part of it still, and um, well, she's a goalkeeper; she can still keep playing for a while. But I'm thinking of players like Corsi, Beatty, possibly even Nick Dock is thirty, um, and age is no barrier, obviously. But at some point, you just wonder will that keep carrying you through um, big international tournaments against teams who are progressing and investing their money in and bring, you know really bringing through. Um, good teams like Ireland showed last night, obviously. Yeah, I think um, when when I saw the, the schedule for tonight, John, I had a quick look at some of the ages. Um, Jen Beatty is only 31, but I, th- I think it's less about age for her. She's just not playing for, for Arsenal these days. So unless she gets a, a, a move elsewhere and plays regular football, then I do wonder if, if we'll see her again. Corsi is a wee bit older. She's 33 but you wonder if, if the captain will stay on. It's um, Yeah, but other than that, there's there's no one else really concerning. It's nice to hear that Lee Gibson will stay on. I think she's a solid enough keeper. And But I think unlike the men's team, I think we do have a little bit of depth in the goalkeeper department. Um, it would be nice to see um, one of the other girls getting a, a chance and a, and a friendly or something. <laughs> Here we are, we'll be used as a, a warm-up team for, for the World Cup again. Um, uh, depressingly so. So, um, yeah, we, it'd, it'd be nice to see that just to try and uh, blood some of the, the, the younger players. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we need to start looking to the, the future a wee bit. Emsley's getting on a wee bit as well. Martha Thomas is, you know, but, you know, we, we do have that little bit of depth uh, now, which, which is encouraging. Um, yeah, I've, I was really disappointed not to see Kirsty Hansen uh, feature. I don't think she featured at all. I don't think she came on as a sub at all. Really disappointed not to see her um, uh, because, yeah, I, th- I think she's a phenomenal player. And But there you go, one, one for the future. Obviously not in Pedro's plans at the moment, but I think... There is a little bit of progression and a little bit of depth in the squad at the moment, um, so that if there are a couple who retire, then we're, we're not quite panicking yet. I do wonder about the the, the youth structure, given the the under nineteens and uh, uh, results uh, over the past week, which were really quite alarming. I don't know if uh, you saw that, guys. I, um, I, I, I saw the results and then oddly saw um, the highlights for Tuesday's game there and like. Uh, Jane Lewis and um, Joey Fleeton and that talking about how it was. Uh, we've got plenty coming through for the under 19, so I'm like, have you seen the scores? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've there, there, there's a lot of. We're, we're not an old squad, thankfully. I think there's a lot of. There's a lot of them in their 20s. Um, but my fear is that the way they've been talking after the game and in the highlights packet, they're expecting people to chuck it. 
which I mean, you would immediately look at the older ones like Corsi, like B. I mean, Corsi's going to be, what, 36 by the time that Euros comes around again? Almost, it depends when the Euros takes place. That's, that might be pushing it. I get the vibe last night that, um, no, because um, Suzanne Winters of um, of Sky, or formerly known as Suzanne Grant when she was a player, um, you know, the two of them had a, a big hug and you could just see in the face that, um, you know, she knew that was her last chance of a World Cup. Whether it's her last chance at a, um, a major tournament full stop, unless she can make that decision. And, um, you know, she still feels she's able enough, then, then, um, good luck to her, but we do need to start thinking about the future as well. And um, you know, we also need. To, I mean, a lot of the under nineteen players are, are come from like Sir Aberdeen Hearts and Hibs, etc. But what we really need is th- that that group to try and get a move. Like m- most of the, most of the team that squad that we've got are playing in WSL, playing in Spain and um, Italy and in America. We need to see some of our players take that kind of move because as much as SWPL is progressing, we'll also talk about it in a minute, and teams are investing more and there's hopefully more coming through, it is not it is not the level of those other nations that can help you propel an international team because that's what Scott Scotland on the international stages, players like Julie Fleet moving to Arsenal and then Caroline Weir moving to Man City Real Madrid and all the rest of it. That's what we're needing. Yeah, you can you can see from the last squad that anybody that's at the club, a Scottish club, it's either it's one of the three. It's either Celtic Rangers or Glasgow City. Um, everybody else is. It's, there's a lot of English-based players there. Currently, we're obviously at the Real Madrid move in the summer there. Then you've got Glen Emsley and Angel City. <laughs> a couple in Italy as well. But yeah, I mean, that's what it needs to be because if, if you're not at Celtic Rangers, Glasgow City, and to be fair, they're at a certain level as well because. Nobody's qualified for the Champions League in the last couple of years. They've got so far. Well, Rangers were lucky against Benfica, but um, uh, yeah, uh, if you're playing below that level and there is a golf and SWPL one, as you can see for the, uh, the weekly results, if you're not playing at the Celtic Rangers Glasgow City level, then you're just not getting that squad, and you probably need to be looking higher than that, ideally. I was wondering if anyone was going to add to that, but he seems to have gone quiet. Um, oh, <laughs> now we'll move on to um, talk about the weekend's game. So I'll wrap up from the national team point of view. And good luck to the national team going forward. Um, hopefully they can recover and qualify for years twenty twenty five, wherever it is. Please not the Nordic Four. Um, so the SWPL one um, weekend. Um, so. Rangers sitting, uh, Rangers, Celtic, Glasgow say all together on 18 points. They've won every game. Nine points clear of Hearts and Force, which just tells you everything you need to know about the Colts right now. And very soon we will be getting the three of them playing each other, um, which will ultimately probably decide the league. But this weekend, you get Celtic versus Glasgow women, bottom of the league. Um, you get Hamilton against Glasgow City, Hearts, Aberdeen, Hibs, Rangers, Motherwell, Spartans, and Partick Thistle, Dundee United. If you can um, try and get along to the game, it's usually reasonable prices. Normal, most teams actually have kids free, which is excellent as well. So I encourage that. Chris, what's your thoughts on um, you know some of the weekend games? Do you see any potential surprise results anywhere? I think the previous years have been Rangers would have jumped out at you. I've been there, not the team they were a couple of years ago. Um, so, no, I don't really see anything strange to be honest. I think Celtic will win comfortably against Glasgow Women. I think Hamilton Aki's Glasgow City, maybe because Glasgow City are probably the, they're, again, they're not the force they were, but they're still up there with Celtic and Rangers. Um, there was a, three of them have only conceded a goal between them, and that was Glasgow City. It's ridiculous after six games. Um, I mean, if you want to watch Hamilton Glasgow City, I've just noticed it's a BBC online. Because uh, I've been Rangers as a once on BBC L, but I think they've probably picked the best game out of the lot um, to, to cover this week. Um, I think part of this will done United might be more exciting than the rest, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, obviously it, it stands out for me um, because we'll, uh, we'll be there. Um it's it's these games that are are, are going to uh, you know define the season for you know the the best of the rest. Thistle have got aspirations to get into that top half. I think 
their, their showings against Celtic in particular have, have been really impressive. Um, but Dundee United having just come up, um, yeah, they're, they're holding their own. Um, but it's, it's 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 just so difficult to, to get anything like you say, Chris, even a goal against the, the top three is uh, is proving almost impossible. Um, so I, I think these games when... Uh, teams are, are are battling it out below that. I think they are probably the, the most exciting. If you want to see lots of goals, you go and see the top three. But if you're if you're wanting a really entertaining close game, um, I, I'd focus my attention elsewhere. And uh, yeah, I think Peter Hill would uh, be a good shout for that. It's a big big weekend for um, my team Aberdeen because they've not started the season well at all. They've only picked up one point um, from the, the six games and given that they finished fifth last season, it's quite a um, a big disappointment. I know they've lost experience in Kelly Forest, but going to Hearts this weekend will be tough. Hearts have started very well, three wins and three defeats. Um, Evo looks as though she's getting something out of that team. But if Aberdeen have aspirations, they've now played the, the top three, so... They've no excuses for their run of fixtures. They need to go on a decent run if they're going to pull themselves away and get to where they want to be. Um, <laughs> fourth or fifth, I. Interesting enough, Hibs are actually a full-time club. Um, but they, yeah, they're, some not, yeah, they're not performing at all just now. Um, but, and Motherwell Spartans, I think, could be quite an interesting game. Motherwell, I think, um, you know, under Leanne Crichton and Paul Brown, so they could do something. But Spartans, you know... They they seem to punch above their weight almost every season, and um, yeah, that could be an interesting game too. I think. I think that's the thing. If you want to, the top three are running away with it. Um, the, the interesting battles are going to be between they play each other. The rest of the leagues where the interesting games are, and that, that, that's why I'm picking out the likes of Partick Thistle, Dundee United, or as you say, um, Spartan and Wollongong as well. So, where, whereabouts is Orium in Edinburgh, by the way? Because I'm just looking at the fixtures, just in case anybody's interested in going on to the, the Aberdeen game. It's, uh, it's just next to Heriot Watt University. So that's... I pretend I'm where Heriot Watt is. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's on, on, on the outskirts. Yeah. If you look up Google Maps, I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> that's your friend um, to find out where Orium is, not um, SFF podcast. Um, we just give you crap banter. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, although there is some exciting events coming up in SWPL, I'm sure. Um, Aberdeen um, are opening up Pataudry for the game against Glasgow women. That's a good game to um, go along to because um, hopefully Aberdeen should win that game. Poor Glasgow women, they've just not had any luck this season at all. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens. But I think there's they're having a big derby day next month. Um, I think it's week, weekend in 26th, 27th of November. Um, Celtic and Rangers are playing each other I'm pretty sure it's at Ibrox um, Hearts and Hibs are playing each other um, Dundee and Aberdeen are playing each other Hamill and Mother are playing each other Partick in Glasgow City um, is against each other and then randomly because they're the only other two teams it's Glasgow women Spartans so I'd imagine there'll be a lot of stadiums open that weekend because the Men's World Cup's on and we're not blooming interested Speak for yourself I've got uh, one to watch at least. No, I, 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 we've, we've said it before, John. I thought it was very big of Scotland to to boycott this World Cup, given all the controversy behind it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that weekend, if you're stuck and you don't really want to watch um, some of the World Cup that's on, go to a women's game. They'll appreciate support. So, yeah, I think we'll end that there. Um, thanks very much, Chris and Vinny, for your time. Um, we'll hopefully try to make this as um, upbeat as we could, but. No, it's just one of these things. But cheers again, guys, and good luck to um, the women's teams involved this weekend and Scottish women's national team going further. Cheers, John. Cheers, Chris. Cheers.